0: Awards Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of
1: the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Denise Sanitka, and you are listening to episode 116 of the On a Mother Level podcast. So glad you are here for another conversation with a great mom. You are going to meet Ebony Ford today. She's the mom of Rain, her daughter who just turned four. And because of Rain, Ebony created Miracle Mamas, a place for moms to find resources and support as they're living the life after the NICU. You see, Rain Victoria was born at 26 weeks. She weighed one pound, 15 ounces, and spent three months in the NICU. And as Ebony will explain, she continues to fight the effects of her extreme prematurity. And so Ebony is here to talk about that life after the NICU. What happens when your birth plan doesn't go according to plan? What happens when every year on your child's birthday, you feel that birth trauma from that day. And she's here to talk about pregnancy after loss. Her husband, Ryan, is a gospel recording artist and a classically trained pianist and vocalist. Ebony describes herself as a singer, a former paramedic and medical biller, and now a passionate teacher, mentor, and writer. And she has all the one-liners that sometimes made me stop and say, say that again. Talk to me about that some more. Um, So you're really going to enjoy this conversation and dive into her experience, and you might find a resource that you're looking for in her group, Miracle Mamas. So here is Ebony talking about leading into Rain's fourth birthday. You remember that day very clearly, and so I wonder if her birthday brings back some things for you. You know, her birthday is a
1: loaded day yeah yeah it definitely is I um I remember that day literally I know it sounds cliche but I literally remember it like it was yesterday I remember more details um as the time goes on which is so odd to me I remember more little things every year or every time it comes to mind I kind of ask my husband questions like do you remember this Well, what happened when this happened (laughs) And, um, you know, I tell all of my mentees, all of the ladies that I've, you know, been blessed to guide through their journeys to just be gracious (laughs) with themselves, especially at that first birthday, because although it's a celebration, you know, your baby lived, your baby survived, especially for those who have birth trauma or, you know, NICU experiences, it's also the day that the plan didn't go according to plan. For some of us, it's the day that we almost died or did die and were brought back. So there is a duality of emotion that I have learned to, um, I won't say master, but I've learned to master accepting it all.
2: I think that's a part of becoming a mother that you don't really think about, about how their birthday is, is a birthday for you. And I don't know, nobody, nobody really talks about the, the fact that you are brought back to this place and this time and with, or without trauma, it's a day that, that changed your life
1: forever. Oh, no doubt. I would not be who I am right now. I would be doing what I'm doing were it not for March 25th, 2018. I would, I would not be who I am right now. I have no clue who I would be without her story, without her coming into our lives.
2: Oh, certainly. So, you know, when you get pregnant and they give you that due date and you automatically kind of start planning your life. Okay. We've got that wedding coming up. That'll be in April, but that's fine because you know, I'll only be this. You do a lot of life planning. You do a lot of sorting. You think about um, you know, what these weeks and months are going to shape up like. And all that is upended when your baby is born prematurely at 26 weeks. That was not even close to the due date you were told and that you were planning on.
1: Oh, not at all. Not at all. We had totally separate plans, which um, I'm sure I'll get to get into in a second. But we had major plans for that weekend. And um, her actual due date was June the 26th. And we had it all laid out. We were going to do a little baby moon on um, that Memorial Day weekend. We had it all planned out. And little did we know that big trip that we took would be our baby moon and would also kick off our birth. So what happened that day or is there a day leading
2: up to it where you like to start the story?
1: So um, I'll just back up just a tad. So my husband, um, he is a gospel recording artist. He's been in music for a really long time and there is a um, annual celebration and award show. It's called the Stellar Awards. Um, It's been held in Las Vegas. So, um, my husband had some singing engagements and we just said, Hey, you know, let's make a trip up. So we went out there. um, and I remember the first day I felt great. Everything was fine. The next day I noticed that I was swelling, hands were swelling, feet were swelling. And, you know, I talked it up to having flown while pregnant. You know, some people just have that. I talked it up to all the things because, you know, my doctors told me take, take your baby aspirin walk. I did all the things on the flight. And up until that point, my pregnancy was completely uneventful. So I figured, okay, I'm just swelling no biggie. By the next day, I could not like lay flat on my back. I had to sit up straight in the bed. I couldn't take four or five steps without feeling winded. Um, my feet were so swollen. I couldn't feel my toes. We had to go to Walmart, get me some size 11 shoes. It was bad. And um, I sent a note to my doctor and just said, hey, Something's up. I'm down the street from a hospital. You know, I'm thinking about going. You know, let me know what I should do. And um, I didn't hear anything right back. And I kept saying, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go to the hospital. And I was getting ready to tell my husband. And I got this feeling, this overwhelming feeling do not go to that hospital. It really went against everything that I know because you know if you don't feel well obviously you want to you know go to the hospital I wasn't thinking it could be anything other than maybe a blood clot or something like that you know and even then I didn't even really grasp how serious that would be while pregnant Uh, but I just thought there'd be some simple solution to it you know I whatever but you know I listened to my gut I didn't go my doctor wrote back and she just said hey listen you know I'm on call all weekend hurry up get back to D.C. Um, And when you get to labor and delivery, of course, they'll page me. We'll take it from there. So that's what we did. Uh, We booked out a day early and got on the flight. I could not walk through the airport. We had to get um, me wheeled through, which was actually a blessing in disguise because we beat the line (laughs) and got priority seating. Uh, But, you know, I wheeled through and I felt terrible. I got on the flight and I realized, man, I haven't eaten since like this time yesterday. I haven't went to the bathroom since this time yesterday, but I'm constantly drinking. I was super thirsty and I thought that was odd, but I said, oh well. Went to sleep on the plane and when I woke up, uh, I thought maybe I wasn't fully awake because everything just looked like gray. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm tripping, you know, the light's not up, but I'm seeing people walk off the plane and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on with my vision? I kept rubbing my eyes and it just would not change my vision was literally gray and i told my husband i was like something is very wrong uh-huh. um, i went to slide my feet back in my shoes and realized that i could not so i literally <laughs> had to walk off the plane without my shoes um, because it was that bad got to the wheelchair they wheeled me out to the car we got the bags and everything and we dropped the bags off at home and we went to the hospital and um, when i got there they were delivery they basically said, oh, well, you're not in labor. You know, this sounds like stuff that you need to go to the emergency room for. So they will be there. And um, it was there in triage where I realized something was very wrong um, because they called a brain attack. My blood pressure was 262 over 154. Oh and gosh. that's a number I'll never forget. I'll never forget that number as long as I live because I did not know it was possible.
2: What were you thinking was going on at this time? I mean, leaving labor and delivery, you're probably, that's probably confusing to be going now down to the ER.
1: It was, I, you know, I was always told if something went wrong after 16 weeks, you go to labor and delivery. Yeah. Um, But to be told, oh, this, uh, you know, you're not in labor, you're not having contractions. This sounds like something they need to treat in the ER was my first indication that something more serious may have been going on. Um, unfortunately the nurse was fairly, um, dismissive. She never did get around to triaging me or taking my vitals or anything. Had she done that, she would have seen the real severity, um, of what was happening. But, um, I probably would have ended up having to go to the emergency room anyway, uh, to be treated and then brought back up to L and D. And that's essentially what happened, you know, within the first 30 minutes, we realized I had preeclampsia. And when some other blood tests came back, um, we realized that I was in liver failure, kidney failure, and I was diagnosed with something called help syndrome. And I had to deliver my baby that day.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So your husband's with you. Are you able to understand everything that's going on? It sounds like you were feeling really terrible.
1: I was feeling terrible, but I mean, I was, I mean, completely lucid to, you know, everything that was going on. They were pumping me full of magnesium, which makes you kind of feel like you have the flu a bit. Um, You start feeling really like weak and hot and um, it's not a pleasant feeling at all. And I had three different IVs going. They were trying so desperately to bring my blood pressure down. Um, And when they told me I had preeclampsia, I was just like, okay, I've heard of it. It's high blood pressure. That's that. But after they did like the chest X-rays and other things, I started realizing like, man, I really can't breathe. Why can't I breathe? I mean, I get my blood pressure being high, but why can't I breathe? Why do I have this nagging pain in my stomach? What's going on? So when they came back and said, "You have help syndrome I was like, "What is that?" Right. But as time went on, they began to explain. You know, you're in kidney failure, your liver failure, um, your your platelets are very off. Um, they began, you know, explaining the different things all while simultaneously cutting everything off and running me up back up to labor delivery where I had to face that same exact nurse again who was like super apologetic like oh my god I didn't realize it was that serious you know oh my goodness I'm so sorry I'm so glad you came here and literally they began prepping me for the emergency c-section so while they're doing that There's a neonatologist telling me all of these horrible statistics about a 26-weeker. You know, there's this chance for blindness, death, cerebral palsy, brain bleeds, intestinal infection. She may need to be sent to another hospital. Um, So you may have to stay here for a few days and she be there for a few days. We need your permission for that. Can you sign this paper? Anesthesiologist. Okay, well, what we're going to do is because your condition is deteriorating, you're needing more oxygen now we're going to intubate you. So you're going to be asleep for the procedure, but your husband is not going to be able to be in the room. Mm. And that devastated me above all, yeah. um, you know, that he was not going to be there, especially with the history of, you know, infertility and pregnancy loss. It felt like, man, this is our rainbow baby. And he's not going to get to witness this yeah. amazing moment. But before I could process that, he goes on and basically tells me, you're going to be on life support, essentially, for at least, you know, six hours after your surgery so that we can just let your body heal and, you know, try to recover. We can try to get some of this fluid off of you. I gained about 40 pounds in fluid um, from my kidneys, just backing up over the days. And um, it just was not, at that moment, I realized this is not what I wanted. This is not what I signed up for. I've never heard of this before. Why did this have, have to happen to me? Like, haven't we been through enough? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a relatable feeling. You know, you had come so far and we and we will get to that part of the story too. But gosh, I'm just trying to imagine what it was like to be in your shoes. I had a C-section like that as well, where where I was put out and my husband was not allowed in. And um, and that was without the the addition of your health being in such a scary, scary position being 26 weeks, your health is failing. And was there, was there ever a moment of like one or the other might not be okay
1: here? So the doctors were more concerned about me.
2: Okay.
1: So putting me out was for preservation for me. I never, oddly enough, hearing all the negative things they said, I never once had a thought that my baby wouldn't survive. I felt like I was going to die because I felt like I was dying. Between the medicines, not being able to breathe. I mean, I was literally hyperventilating, trying to answer questions. And no matter how much oxygen they gave me, it wasn't enough. Because my body was being overwritten with all of this fluid. So they were rushing, trying to hurry up, get me in so they could knock me out, intubate me, put me under my misery, <laughs> and also, you know, hurry up and get this baby out so that hopefully my body would begin to, you know, turn around and heal itself.
2: Was there even time for that last moment with your husband before they had to have him leave the room?
1: No, everything was so fast. We were literally talking. And I have videos that he took. Thank God he did that. Um, He kind of took a video and was just like, oh, well, Miss Rain's coming today. And he put the camera on me and I'm like, oh, I look so bad. Don't put the camera on He's like, no, you look beautiful. And 30 seconds later, they were like, okay, we're ready to go. And they just unlocked the bed and whisked me out.
2: So what is your first memory then after having that C-section?
1: I woke up. And I remember the clock was straight ahead from my bed. And I remember it was like a couple of minutes after 12. And I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, man, it's 12 noon. I remembered, you know, having my baby sometime around six o'clock. So I was like, man, it's been more than six hours. What has happened to me? Um, I remember looking up and I went to roll over and I felt this pressure in my chest. And I went to speak. And that's when I realized I was still intubated. I went to lift my hands and I realized my hands were tied to the bed. I went to lift my feet and my feet were tied to the bed. So my first memory of waking up was extremely traumatic.
0: Oh my gosh. I cried
1: and cried. It was about 15 minutes before anyone came in the room. You were alone. I I was alone. There was nobody there. And I'm in this big, cold, empty room. I could tell I was in the ICU just by how dark and how dim it was, despite, you know, I could see the light out of the window, but it was just so quiet and just dark. It was just not the best thing to wake up to, I'll say that. So eventually the doctors came in and like, oh, you're up, you know, we weed your sedation. We wanted to see how you were doing. And they kind of gave me a recap of, You know, the events of the night, having gone through dialysis, having, uh, you know, my liver seemingly got worse before it got better. Um, They had gotten all of the paperwork and things together for a possible transplant Had even found a donor um, in the hospital, which is a rarity that something like that happens. Um, So all of the pieces were in place for me in the event that things continue to get worse. But it seemed like overnight you know, things did eventually get better. And, um, there I was basically (laughs) waiting for them to take this tube out. So they ended up taking the tube out and, you know, untying me and all of that stuff. And, you know, my first question is like, where's my, you know, where's my husband, where's my family. I knew my family had come to the hospital, the night before, um, they were there, you know, while we were giving birth and after and all of that, I knew they'd come, but I got a chance to hear my husband calling everyone, but I didn't get a chance to see everyone before I got taken off. So I'm just wondering like, where is everybody what's going on? Uh, I don't remember how long it was before my husband came, but my mother-in-law came not too long after that. And, um, she didn't really know fully the events of the night. I got my phone. I got my belongings. And the first thing I wanted was my phone. I had to call my husband. I was in the face my husband. And um, he was, I think, going to see. He was with my daughter. So I was just like, how is my baby? That's one of the first things I wanted to know. And nobody would answer me. The doctors wouldn't answer me. My mother-in-law didn't really know. Um, All she knew was from, you know, that she was fine last night. She didn't really know. It was just, I had all of these questions and nobody was giving me answers. Um, Yeah. And a little bit, my husband came up and he showed me the first picture of my daughter. And that was when I breathed a sigh of relief. I was terrified at what I saw, but I was relieved because I knew that she was okay. What
2: did you see in that first picture?
1: So the picture was a little more (laughs) zoomed in than what I saw in reality. I thought my daughter was a little bigger than what she was, um, but I could see the, um, she wasn't intubated yet, but she did have one CPAP. I saw the IVs coming out of her stomach. The headgear, all of the stuff that's in place, the whole CPAP, it looks like a lot. It looks like a little football helmet almost. She had on the little glasses over her eyes. Um, they use um, when the babies have to get under the John this light. I saw all this equipment, all these blankets around her. And in the picture, again, that she looked a lot bigger. I'm thinking, you know, oh, she like three pounds or something. And he's like, well, the nurse said she is 800 something grams. And I remember we got on my phone and we looked it up and it came. Came out to one pound, 15 ounces. And I was so shocked. One pound, baby was one pound, 15 ounces. Yeah. One pound, 15 ounces.
2: One pound, 15 ounces is probably the same weight as the pack of chicken breasts that I brought at the store the other day.
1: She wasn't even the length of my forearm. Um, to give a good bit of context, my wedding ring could fit up to her shoulder.
2: Oh my, oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, that small, that tiny.
2: And what were they saying about how how well she was doing?
1: So they said that overnight, um, she did really well with, um, you know, kind of settling in, her breathing was doing okay. She didn't require the intubation that they, you know, said that she would. They said she wouldn't be born crying. She screamed. Um, They said that, you know, she'd probably be really cranky and irritable and she really wasn't, but she did a lot of kicking, a lot of swinging. Um, She was just super, and she was active like that in the womb. So that didn't really surprise me, but, um, you know, just in comparison to all the other babies, um, you know, she was just, she was just really (laughs) active and, you know, she was trying to pull stuff off. Um, Just very sassy from the start. And I knew that we had named her correctly. Yeah,
2: yeah. Rain, where did that name come from?
1: So there is a Bible verse that really um, stuck out while we were dealing with infertility, while we were waiting for her. Um, And it basically says that if you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. So it basically talks about, you know, the rainbow after the storm, after every terrible situation, there's a period of redemption and rain just did it. It it just, it was, it was a no-brainer. We knew we wanted her to have my husband's initials. And uh, rain came easy. Um, the V and the initials, we were like, "Mm." but my sister-in-law's name is Victoria. So I was like, oh, Rain Victoria. And then when I put it together, I was like, wait right Victoria that's a pretty powerful name and then after her birth that's why I was like oh yeah we did this right we named her right because she's going to need all of the energy of that name to get through whatever this is about to be because we had no clue the journey that was ahead yeah
2: so how were you doing at this point when so was Was Rain in the same hospital as you? When were you able to see her in person and how were you recovering?
1: So, yes, we were in the same hospital. Thankfully, she was stable enough that she didn't need to be transported to the Children's Hospital, thank God. Um, So we were literally just two floors away from each other while I was in the ICU. Um, So I woke around 12, around 11 o'clock that night, my my pressure leveled out enough Um, that I was able to be treated on the regular L&D floor. Um, They felt comfortable with how far my kidneys had come and liver had come in that short period of time that I could go to labor and delivery. Well, the NICU and labor and delivery are right at the same floor. So I was literally about maybe 50 steps away from her in my room. So I finally got to meet her around midnight. So about 12 hours after I woke up. They wheeled me into the NICU and I was able to, um, wheel up to this, you know, the, I was in a wheelchair and the, the isolates are up pretty high. They lowered it down and all I saw was blankets. I was like looking for the baby, like, where's this big baby I saw on the picture. Um, and there she was buried in the middle of it. Again, it's quiet. It seems like all the other babies are asleep and there's my baby kicking, swinging, you know, just just doing the most. And, um, and by this point, she had been intubated. Um, because she started having a little bit of trouble breathing. And, um, you know, I was just like, man, this girl is a fighter. She is a fighter, but I've never seen a baby this small in my life. What is this going to entail? How long are we going to be here? You know, those are all of the questions that flooded my mind. And remembering, you know, everything the neonatologist said about the risks, I'm just like, man, what is ahead for us? But I had peace just knowing that she had already defied the odds in her first 24 hours of life. You know, mm-hmm. coming out, her eyes weren't fused shut. They said they could have still been fused shut. They weren't um, you know, her breathing was far better than expected initially. She was doing great. So that gave me a lot of peace. Wow. So how long
2: before, um, you were able to be discharged and you could be with her full time?
1: So I was in the hospital for six days. Okay. Um, you know, most C-sections are about three, four. Right. Uh, but given what was going on with my kidneys and um, they still weren't, you know, completely recovered, my liver did a, a fairly quick bounce back, um, but my kidneys did not. My blood pressure was still fairly high. Um, I was put on medication for that. Um, so by the by the sixth day, you know, they discharged me and I just went down the hall with her. I didn't even leave the hospital. And just kind of sat in there with her um, to make sure she was okay. By that point, she had enough, she'd had a lung collapse. So while I was there in that six days, she had two separate lung collapses, which were very difficult. One I actually got to witness while I was sitting there. And it was very scary to watch. Um, and then the other happened shortly after that. So she ended up with chest tubes being intubated. Uh, but on the day that I left, they took the tubes out and she was back on CPAP. So that made me feel great. Um, And I knew, you know, the nurses kind of told me like, you know, the whole time you've been here in the hospital, you've been here in the NICU more than you've been in your room. Like your nurses were calling down here asking, could you come back to your room so they can take your vitals, you know? And they're like, you know, we know you want to spend a lot of time with her, but you've just gone through a very traumatic situation. You just had emergency surgery. You have to heal yourself. So they begged me to go home that Friday night. Please go home, please rest. If you want to come see her tomorrow, you can. Parents can come to the NICU twenty four seven. You know, you're welcome to come whenever you like. But please get some rest. So I went home that night, and there's a moment I tell people all the time. I um, having gone through infertility and infant loss, I've left labor and delivery several times empty handed, and I thought this time would feel different. So I hadn't even really forethought the fact that I would have to leave the hospital without her yeah um, they woke me down and I I got in the car with my husband and that same feeling of doom overcame me like oh my god (sighs) this is not how I planned on leaving labor and delivery but I looked at my wrist and there were two bracelets one that said that I was a patient and the other that said I had a baby and that was the sanity that let me leave the hospital, knowing that my baby was alive, she was well, and she was being cared for. And this was not a repeat of all of the heartbreak and disappointment that once was.
2: Oh wow, wow! What a what a moment to see to see her um, th- th- did it have her name on the on the bracelet. I'm trying to remember if they I think they baby, like wrote it, it in later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. Wow, that's a powerful memory.
1: Definitely one that I hold super dear. And it has helped me to help others through that moment of leaving their baby in the NICU because it is definitely one of the most difficult parts of the journey. It's so easy
2: to say, like, go home and rest. You know, oh, just you'll go home to an empty house and rest, or, you know, maybe a family member will come over. It's not that easy, is it?
1: Not at all. And especially when you have a baby in the NICU, there's a lot of pressure to nurse because they can't have formula that small so they're relying on breast milk and if you don't provide it there is donor milk but when you have a baby prematurely there's a struggle to get your milk in it's not like having a full-term baby because your body wasn't ready it it literally just got traumatized you have to wait for the hormones to kind of catch up and realize the baby's gone oh okay we need to produce milk so here i am cut open you know, open wide. And I had a classical C-section by the way, uh, which is far more painful to recover from. So instead of a horizontal incision, I had a vertical incision. Oh my gosh. So recovering from that and having to pump every two hours and being told, to rest, that's impossible. And not just pump every two hours, but because she's a NICU baby, you have to sterilize the parts every single time. Oh, so, yeah. that's an addition until I learned the hacks. That was an additional 30 minutes to the pumping. So, every two hours I was pumping, but it took an hour between the pumping and the cleaning. So, I was literally only getting an hour basically in between. So, there was no sleep to be had between that. And uh, we were blessed that the week before I had my daughter, they installed a camera system called Nick view. So there was a little camera on her isolate at all times. So I could see what she was doing. And I literally would watch that all night long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to rest. It's hard to go home and th- there's no rest. <laughs> there's no rest. And then There's a lot of calls from the NICU as well. Um, You know, if your child's condition changes, if they need permission for something, the phone rings and it is one of the most jittery things. I was literally not able to rest every time my phone rang for the three months that she was there because it was always this fear that something is wrong.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out when you ever feel a sense of peace or are you ever letting go of that panic because it just feels like touch and go for so long.
1: And honestly, as a a parent of a medically fragile child, she is about to turn four and that that feeling still has not left. That feeling of waiting for the bottom to drop out, it still has not left.
2: So three months in the NICU, what did those three months look like? Are you recovering okay? And what are they telling you day to day? Is she making steady steady improvements?
1: So after like that first week where she had the two lung collapses, after that, her journey was pretty smooth sailing. Um, The only complications we ran into were like typical feeding, you know, learning how to bottle feed, things we take for granted, you know, if you've ever had a full term baby, like learning how to bottle feed, learning mm-hmm. how to breathe and swallow, at the, you know, breathe and swallow, getting that cadence down, um, making sure that they wake up or making sure they can take their full feeding amount. Then make you have to make sure they can wake up for their feedings like a normal baby. These are all the things you have to go through before you can even leave. And feeding is the last hurdle in the NICU. I know some NICUs allow their babies to go home on oxygen. Mine did not. They were very adamant about her getting off of cpap and after cpap that's it you know she needs to be able to breathe on her own so you know we had the oxygen trials and she did great with that she got off of oxygen before she started feeding that was perfect but that feeding is so many roller coasters with it one day you, and they have to get to a certain percentage so it's like 90 percent of feeds 90 percent of the time and when my daughter would like ace it one day 100 percent of feeds a hundred percent of the time and then the next day she would eat so a hundred and zero puts us back at 50 it was such a roller coaster towards the end um, it was emotionally draining but physically i healed well um i did have one readmission when she was two weeks old because of my blood pressure we didn't really they could they couldn't really find the right combination of blood pressure medicines for me for a while but once we got it we got it and um i was i was great Physically, but mentally, there is a toll that the NICU takes on you. Uh, you have a life. You had a life before the baby came, yeah. and now the baby has come, and you have to stop everything. You literally live at the hospital. You also live in fear of getting a call that something went wrong. You're pumping every two hours. You're exhausted. You don't feel like cooking, so you're eating whatever you can get your hands on. You're gaining weight. Mentally, you don't have anyone you can talk to. Well, I didn't at the time. No one to talk to, no one who gets it. It was so much. It was so, 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 so much. Her coming home was a relief, but it was it was a start of another journey. It wasn't like a, oh, I can breathe now. That's what I thought was gonna happen, but that's not what happened.
2: And so before having rain, did you have a professional career that you were doing or what was happening?
1: Yes. So uh, I was a paramedic for eight years. Um, I also did medical billing and I had just graduated um, with my degree in clinical psychology. I had planned (laughs) to open a practice and all this other stuff. And then I got pregnant and I was like, Oh, I can still go to school. So I rolled and I was getting ready to start my master's. And then I had rain and I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm not even going to bother. I can't focus on classes right now. You know, I have a baby clinging to life. So, you know, that's kind of where things stopped. And then once I had her, they pretty much told me with her being a micro preemie, you can pretty much count out her, ever going to daycare she's probably going to be too fragile to go to daycare so you're going to have to figure something out and me being an hour hour and a half away from my family my husband having limited family we just made the decision at that time I'm just going to need to stay home and thankfully we were in a position to do that and i have been home ever since
2: Yeah. I was just curious because, you know, when you talk about three months in the NICU, I'm thinking three months. Okay. If you're on maternity leave, that's when the boss starts calling NICU or no NICU, you know? So I'm, I'm relieved that you were able to, to choose RAIN and, and that, you know, that was the right choice for your family.
1: I was really blessed in that regard because so many moms go back to work after like two weeks. Yeah. You know, they force themselves to go back. And, you know, I was I was blessed to be able to take that time. But so many of the moms there and I built friendships with them. They knew I'd be there all the time. So they like call me. How's she doing? What's going on? Can you send me a picture? Can you send me a video? So we, we built those relationships. So those moms who were working, who couldn't be there, who had other children, you know, and could not be there 24 seven. You know, we were able to kind of lean on each other yeah. um, and we're still friends to this day. Uh, but that helped us to get through it.
2: So with your education in clinical psychology, it's like you knew all of the textbook concepts behind trauma, but did it look the same when you were experiencing it and feeling it and dealing it with it yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I knew all of the things to cope. I knew all the things, but it did not seem applicable at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no textbook on birth trauma and coming through birth trauma and having a child in the NICU and having declining health and trying to make sure you're still a halfway decent wife and, you know, trying to keep your head above water. There, there's, there's no chapters on that, you know? So it, it was a difficult, difficult time to navigate for sure.
2: Yeah. How, how did your husband handle all of this?
1: Oh my gosh. She was a rock star. I still, I, the way that he's been graced to Carry our family and carry the, the trauma is just so admirable. Um, from day one, he was in a position where he could lose his wife and his daughter. And he was so calm. He was so, I mean, our family was there, you know, family's worried. He's answering all of their questions patiently, dealing with them patiently, dealing with the doctors. Um, he was running between me and the ICU, her and the NICU. Um, he still worked. Um, basically the, the entire time he didn't take six weeks off. He went right back to work and um, you know, he worked during the day. Mind you, I, he's probably not sleeping that great at night because I'm up pumping and washing stuff and all of that and he's going to work. He's working. He's leaving. He's coming to the NICU. He's staying at the NICU for maybe another five, six hours. We're going home close to midnight some nights and then we did it all over again. That was literally our life. For three months so wow. he just carried us all so and he still does to this day he's just really really big <laughs> grace for that and I'm I mean I'm a pretty calm even kill person if I am highly upset and flustered it's bad and even in those moments he has always been able to just level me out and just be my rock and help me to see the bigger picture
2: Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you have that support. There's just no replacement for it. None at all. I've talked to other NICU moms before who've described the um, almost like a PTSD of the sounds of the NICU,
1: the beeping,
2: the alarms, the alerts, things like
1: that. Is that part of the trauma for you? Oh, goodness. Yes. So we came home. My daughter didn't have any monitors or oxygen or anything. She came home perfectly fine. Um, but sometimes I still thought I heard it in my sleep. Like I would wake up <coughs> out of my sleep thinking I heard the monitor. And then uh, within six months, we actually did have those monitors again in my home, which was completely uh, traumatizing. But even coming home from the NICU, you've been so dependent on these machines to tell you how your child is doing. And now you have to trust your gut there's no machine to tell you where their oxygen is, you know, or to tell you if they're having a Brady, there's, there's nothing there to tell you that. So you literally just have to learn to trust your gut and your instincts and, you know, learn your baby outside of nurses, you know, nurses have taken care of your child for months and now it's your turn, you know, for months you have to ask to hold your baby, ask to feed, ask to bathe. And now you get to actually be a mom, but you know, you also have to put those instincts to use. So
2: part of your whole mission now is to help other families navigate this life after the NICU. What are some of the, the most important things that you learned about life after NICU that you now share with other moms?
1: The number one thing, and it all relates back to this one thing, prematurity does not end at the NICU. Prematurity is a life long complication that can stem into many other things my daughter came home from the NICU like I said no machines no oxygen nothing perfectly fine no specialists, follow-ups no nothing and then two months later she gets crouped and we are in the PICU um you know traumatized all over again and then from there she was getting admitted every single month with breathing issues she ended up her first Christmas um intubated sick like we didn't know if she was gonna make it um you know it was a blessing in disguise because we found out that she had a pretty rare lung condition but all of those machines the the oxygen the pulse ox all of that stuff made it back into my home so it was like the NICU came home with us and um you know we we just thought leaving the NICU everything's good everything's great so many parents do and unfortunately that's not the truth Um, even outside of their physical health maybe their physical health doesn't suffer but there are also developmental things you have to look out for especially when they you know been born fairly early you know they're always going to be slightly behind in things so you know like the average baby I think sits up at like five six months my daughter didn't sit up till close to 10 months My daughter didn't crawl till 13 months. My daughter didn't walk till 17 months, you know? So there's like early intervention and physical therapy, occupational therapy, all these specialist appointments. Sure, the NICU being over, that's just one part of the journey. Going forward, you kind of have to wait and see what else prematurity, what other blows prematurity is going to, to, to throw you. You yeah. have to kind of wait and, you know, take it, take it along with it. So that has been my main mission. Um, and to also help others through the trauma that comes with, you know, even if they didn't have birth trauma per se, you know, NICU is not where anyone plans for their baby to go. So just dealing with that disappointment that the story didn't, you know, in the way that they had hoped it would, dealing with that and just encouraging parents to, you know, pursue therapy to make themselves a priority to find community, to, you know, surround yourself with others who understand, who can answer your questions. I love, I'll be the first to say, I love, you know, the mom groups and all of that. I got in so many of them while I was pregnant, but none of those groups could help me or prepare me for what was about to happen. And afterwards, I found myself trying to find community. Um, And back at that time, just, just four years ago, there weren't a lot of communities where there are now, there's a ton there weren't a lot of communities where you could talk to people who had been through similar experiences. So, you know, I encourage parents to always find community and find strength in it um, so that you feel understood. And when you feel understood, you're more compelled to be honest, you know, about what's going on and seek out the help that you need.
2: And that's the beauty of the Miracle Mama mission. Now you have the podcast, you do meetups on Clubhouse, you have such an expansive way to create to foster the community that you so badly needed at that time.
1: And that's my entire mission, literally, as yeah. I've been to help other parents navigate the waters that my family almost drowned in. If I can help one family get through the NICU, get home, get settled tell them what's ahead for the appointment, then I've done what I needed to do. You know, I've done my job. I just can't sit. I'm not built like that. I can't sit back and just watch others. Oh, they'll figure it out. You know, I've had people say all the time, why are you throwing everything into this? You could be doing other things. Why are you throwing all of your energy into this? And I'm like, why not? I wish I had this. I wish I had someone to hold my hand through the NICU. I wish I had someone I could call at 3 a.m. and say, This is what's going on. You know, I feel like I'm losing it. I didn't have that. So I'm gonna be that every chance I get.
2: I'm guessing that's a real experience. You getting a
1: call from
2: a fellow mama at
1: 3 a.m. who needed to talk. Every week. Every single week. In the NICU and out of the NICU. Yeah. Wow.
2: Oh, that's so that's so special that you do that. It's very selfless.
1: Um I hear people say that and I don't know how to, I don't know. I don't feel like it's selfless. I feel like it's, it's literally my purpose, you know? Like, I don't know what else I'd be doing right now. I don't, I don't want to do anything else. This is literally, you know, the thing that I feel like my life set me up to do. Um, My daughter literally guided me into this purpose. I don't want to hop on another ambulance. I don't want to do medical billing anymore. Um, And I feel like, thankfully, I'm, I'm putting some of my school debt to use. Um, through this field, because I'm going to use a bit of the psychology. But, you know, I just, I really, I really want to help. I really want to help these parents, especially the moms, you know, who are carrying the, you know, the birth trauma. And a lot of the moms are the ones who end up staying home as well and taking the kids to the appointments and, you know, just helping them to navigate that and, you know, being wives and still showing up for their friends and all of that. Just you know, I can only relate to the male experience so much, but the moms really have, they have my heart. So yeah. I don't want to do anything else but help them. out. I, I can't help it.
2: Well, and you're about to have a lot more on your plate because rain is going to be a big sister. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the cat is out of the bed. So we are having another baby in October. Uh, we'll be announcing the gender really soon. Um, but I'm super excited. Um, It definitely was unexpected, but very much welcomed. Um, I went on a bit of a self-care journey. You know, I did some things for me. And um, those who have suffered with preeclampsia or A or health syndrome know that you're at high risk for heart disease. Um, Sometimes the high blood pressure doesn't go away. Um, you're definitely at higher risk for you know, kidney, liver issues. Sometimes you're on steroids for months, years at a time. The weight gain is real. And I already um, suffered from lupus. So I already had an autoimmune condition and help syndrome was like the final blow. My body just went absolutely crazy. And I gained more weight than I ever thought I would. So I went on a mission to lose weight and to just better myself, to be happy um, and whole all the way around. And my body was like, okay, good for you. Now let's get pregnant. So that's, that's what happened. So we'll be welcoming a baby in October, oddly enough, um, right at my, my 10 year wedding anniversary.
2: Oh, that's incredible. What a perfect 10 yeah. year gift.
1: Absolutely.
2: How are you mentally preparing for You know, if you have birth trauma after having one baby, you know, and now you're going into this pregnancy with, with a whole different view on things that can go right and things that can go wrong. How do you manage that? I know it's really early in the process, but where's your mindset at right now?
1: So I've been following a lot of people who, you know, have just had second children or who got pregnant again after birth trauma and just kind of listening and learning Um, I'm doing a lot of writing to kind of get out the things that I felt. And I'm literally taking this as a faith walk. It is a faith walk for me. Um, Every every day, every week. And I mean, this is not new. You know, having gone through, you know, infertility and, and pregnancy loss. You know, my last pregnancy was a faith walk as well. But this time is a little different. The pregnancy, I'm not as... As afraid of, um, it is the birth experience that makes me slightly nervous. Um, I do believe I'm in a better position physically and mentally to handle this, you know, should something similar occur again. But I'm human, you know, and I still have my moments where I'm like, God, could I do that again? You know, how would I handle this? You know, my husband and I have kind of talked about our contingency plan you know, having rain now, what will we do in terms of like the NICU? um, Thankfully, in the fall, she'll be going to school full time versus half a day. So I will at least have that time. If I do end up, let's say, God forbid, with another NICU baby, I kind of know what I'll have to do, you know, with my time and how we'll work it out. So, you know, we're kind of talking about our contingency plans in, in advance, but the prayer is that we won't need them.
2: Yes, yes. Oh, I'm still hooked on the, um, the concept of a faith walk. Can you dive into that for, more for me? I guess right off the bat, my head goes to a place where you go through each day, not necessarily knowing what, what that day will bring, but the faith that it's going to be okay and you're going to survive.
1: I believe that not only does everything happen for a reason, but I believe that the main reason is to not just better you, but to help others. So I am um, now that we are, we've shared publicly, um, going to be very transparent about my journey of pregnancy after birth trauma and pregnancy after prematurity, what that's like. And you know, being followed by a high risk doctor. Um, I'm going to take my followers into all of it, so that they can see what this is like, and to know that I won't say that there's nothing to fear, because obviously, if you you've been through birth trauma, there's there's a dash uh, a natural you know feeling that oh god, this could happen again, but you are far more equipped for it, far more educated and to advocate for what you want. And the faith walk for me is really more so just believing every day that my body's going to do what it's supposed to do, that I'm equipped for the journey, that my family's equipped for the journey, that I trust, you know, this team of providers. I trust them to care for me. But if at any point I, you know, I don't agree or, you know, I feel something different, you know, that I will speak up for myself and fight for it is, you know, fight for whatever it is that I want to see happen. So it's, it's definitely a, a faith walk every day to believe that, you know, especially in early pregnancy, when you can't feel movement, you just have to trust that your baby's okay. You know, you have to trust that their heart is beating, trust that everything is going great, because you can't, unless you have an ultrasound machine in your house every day, you know, you can't see what's going on. You just have to know that you planted the seed, you watered the seed, and you just have to <laughs> wait for it to grow. And that's the basic concept of faith for me. Oh gosh.
2: Well, I really needed to hear that today.
1: Oh, I'm glad that could help. Yeah. I mean, it literally I tell myself that every day. You know, after you planted the seed, it's not up to you to babysit it. Miracles do not require micromanaging. They just require faith.
2: (laughs) They just Uh, require faith. And I and I just wrote down on my notepad, I am equipped for the journey.
1: Yeah. Everything that you need, every experience you've been through, all of those things equip you for what is to come.
2: Oh, that's powerful stuff, Ebony.
1: Lessons learned in the fire. (laughs) How can people
2: find you and reach out to you and, um, and explore some of the resources that you have?
1: So to connect with me personally, you can find me on Instagram at and she shall rain. Um, you can also find my nonprofit on IG at Miracle Mamas LLC. I have a website that is full of resources for prematurity, birth trauma, um, having medically fragile kiddos. There's a blog with amazing stories from babies who were born at 22 weeks and survived those who have had medically fragile kids, those who have passed, there's, there's a story for everyone on my blog. And you can find all of that at MiracleMamas.org.
2: Oh, Ebony, thank you so, so much for your work. And thank you for this conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been amazing.
2: After my conversation with Ebony, she shared with me that she had lost her baby. The baby she found out later was a little boy. At 10 weeks, Ebony had a miscarriage. And as she said in our conversation, she wanted to be transparent about everything that this pregnancy was going to lead to. And so when we talked about how she wanted me to handle the episode and our interview, she asked if I would share it in full. And we both decided to do an update conversation on everything that's happened since. So next week, I'll be sharing that conversation with Ebony about how she's doing, about what happened, and her message of hope. And so you can join us for episode 117 next week, and I will share that update conversation with Ebony. Thank you for listening to On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. I'm your host, Denise Sinitka, and you can find me on Instagram at DeniseWQAD and find the show page at On a Mother Level. And don't forget to share this episode
0: with a friend. You
1: have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.